Hi, my name is Brendan Watt, and welcome to the One Choice from Change podcast, where I give you the tools to create something totally different beyond the status quo, and where you get to become as different as you are. What if there is nothing wrong with any of the choices you've made up until now? I'm inviting you to be aware that every choice creates something. So, what will you choose today? Hi, everyone. Welcome to One Choice from Change podcast. Here with Brendan Watt from uh, the beautiful Castle Bagoni today. We're in Italy and we're, we're bunking out. It's pretty horrible, actually. We're bunking out at this fabulous castle that me and some friends of mine are co-owners in. So I'm living it up in luxury and I've been lucky enough to find someone amazing to do this podcast with today. Welcome, Kent. Thank you. Kent Blasey here. So you've had what I would say a phenomenal life, and I'd like to know a bit about it, and I'd like you to talk about it. You've written a lot of very famous country songs. Correct. People such as Garth Brooks sing, and and it's like, and I've watched you play. I mean, we were at a wedding, I don't know, 12 months ago, and I watched you play, and I was just, it blows me away, the presence that you have and the way that you, not only in music, but in life. Thank so you. How, did you, how did you get to that? Well, I was lucky to be born in Woodstock, New York. Wow. And Woodstock, New York was not Woodstock like we know of it now. Uh-huh. But even back then, it was known as a, community where artists would come, painters would come, actors would come, writers would come, and they would live there for a while. And there were very famous painters by the uh, Hudson River Valley was a big place where they came. So as a little kid, I would go to somebody's house and they'd be working on a big painting and they'd go, "Um, would you like me to sign this book I wrote? And it made an impression on me very early on that I would like to make my living doing that. Right. And my dad worked for a company called IBM, which was just mainly assembly line things, making typewriters and stuff. And so I knew I didn't want to do that. And so we got, IBM used to stand for I've been moved (laughs) because they moved their, all their people so much. So we moved to Lexington, Kentucky and that was like the end of the world after being in in Woodstock. But I think Woodstock created a another reality to me that I would have never gotten if I'd grown up somewhere else. So when I moved to Lexington, I just didn't fit in because it was such a totally different world for me. And um, we started going to a Christian church and... I think I was like six or seven, and I started asking a lot of questions that nobody wanted me to be asking about Jesus and dying and, you know, whatever <laughs> else. And and so I always felt out of place, and I was really big into sports as kind of an outlet for things. But then I think when I was 16 or 17, I heard this guy, Roger McGuinn of the Birds, and he was playing a 12-string guitar, and I said, that's what I want to do. So I ended up getting the guitar and started writing my own songs and kind of took off from there. And, you know, if you told somebody in Lexington, Kentucky, that you were a songwriter, they wanted to lock you up. They thought you were crazy, you know, but I just knew that's what I was and that's what I was going to make my living being. Yeah. And so I played in a lot of 
garage bands. I played, backed up a lot of different people and um, just always kept working on how's it get better and, you know, what else is possible, even though I didn't know those were tools at the time. And um, one thing that really changed my life is the first year that I was in college, there was a guy who was uh, a Vietnam veteran who was the head of the SDS. And the SDS at that time was a very radical group of people trying to change the war. I mean, they would blow up buildings and, you know, all that stuff. But he took me under his wing and he gave me a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. And uh, that book changed my life because I knew everything that I knew was possible about being in two places at one time or living a lot longer. Uh, These people in India were doing it. And I thought, this makes a lot more sense to me than Christianity. Yeah. So I started going down that path, you know, started meditating, started reading different things like that. At the same time, I was still pursuing my music. And I just never let anything get in the way of that, you know, those two things together. And I always felt like being able to write music taps you in to another place that same meditation does or other different aspects like access to me sometimes is like that. So I ended up moving to Nashville, Tennessee. And when I got down there, I'd always made my living playing and singing. And so when I went down there, I started taking my songs around to different people and they'd say, well, we kind of like the song, but who the hell's singing that? And so it, it really diminished what I thought of myself as a singer, you know, and, uh, I thought, well, they must not think I'm very good. But then I realized the talent that I was up against. So the way to get around that, I started a little demo studio in Nashville. Uh, All the songwriters, when they write a song, they need to have some way to be able to make their song sound the best it can be to play for producers and recording artists and stuff. Now there's GarageBand, which makes it (laughs) a lot easier. But it used Uh to be you had to go into a recording studio. So I bought a little recording studio, and I can play a lot of instruments. So I started doing demos for myself and getting really good singers to sing them. And then other people heard about it, and they asked me if I would do demos for them. So through that, I met people like Faith Hill and Martina McBride, Trisha Yearwood, um, Joe Diffie. But the main one I met was Garth Brooks. Yeah. And when I met him, he was cleaning churches and selling boots. (laughs) And everybody said he would never get a record deal with a name like Garth. And so I started using him in my studio when we became friends. And we started writing together. And the first song that we ever wrote was If Tomorrow Never Comes. And we thought, wow, that's this is really a good song. And we played it for people in town for a year and nobody was interested in it. And nobody was interested in Garth. And so we were going to uh, rewrite the song because we thought, well, there must be something wrong with it. And that same week, Garth got a call to come play at a world-famous place in Nashville called The Bluebird. That's a singer-songwriter place. And they told him he could sing one song. And he sang that song. And somebody from Capitol Records who passed on him for the third time that week heard that song and said, why don't you come back in? Maybe we'll look at things differently. And so he ended up getting a record deal with Capitol 
and went on to be Garth Brooks. Wow. You know, and uh, it was just, it was watching miracles happen right in front of your face. Yeah. You know, and um, it just reinforced what I knew was possible in the world. Well, and I like the way that you've talked about it, like with a few things in that was that you knew and you kept going. Even when it's like, even when other people say to you, that's not going to happen. It's like you kept going and going, yeah, I know I can, there's something different here. Exactly. And it's that thing Gary says, you know, never give up, never give in. Yeah, never just quit. Never quit. Just kind of keep trying to reinvent yourself and find other angles to make it happen. Yeah. So one thing I want to I want to know about is is how you write the songs. Like how do you get the how does it come to you the way that you put it all together and because I've heard quite a lot of your songs now. Right. And it's they're different. They're brilliant and it's like so how does it how does it work for you? Well, it's interesting. I will take it any way it wants to come. Uh-huh. Um, some of my favorite songs just came when I was walking my dogs out by a lake, um, and they just kind of show up. Other times, um, I'll get with other writers, and we'll throw ideas back and forth. And uh, other times, somebody will just say something, or I'll read something, and it'll spark an idea, and I'll go write that song. But I keep little tiny notebooks that anytime somebody says something that I like, or I read something, I write them in the little notebooks. And when the little notebooks are full, I put it in a big notebook. So then when I want to write a song and I don't think I have any ideas coming, I'll pull out those books and I'll either find something for me or with a co-writer uh-huh. and, and create a song out of that. But it's all about being prepared and keeping your ears open and your mind open to everything that's going on around you. I love that. And it's like that, because it's like that's a lot of us live our lives like that. Like we get to these places where we go, we feel like everything stops, and then we stop with it, right? Rather than go, okay, so what's what's something that I like? If with the notebook thing, it's like I love writing things down. I'm mm-hmm. still a pen to paper man. Yes, definitely. pen to paper. And I work with these young kids that are trying to be recording artists, and they're typing on their notebook, and now they just all write on their phone. I know it's annoying. And I say, well, when your song's a big hit and the Country Music Hall of Fame wants your lyrics, what are you going to give them? Yeah. A typewriter? Yeah. You know, a, a computer? There's no handwritten lyrics. So some of them that I've said that to, I notice they start writing again with a, a piece of paper and a pen. And yeah. It's, uh, there's just something magic about if you're holding a pen or a pencil and you put it to the paper, your fingers feel like you're on the paper. It's yeah. a really interesting thing. It's that whole energy of the two things coming together. So that's why I still do it that way. And I was talking to Gary once, I think it was a few weeks ago and I was like, I was having this, I was having one of my days where I'm having a little bit of a meltdown, mm-hmm. you know? And when I do that, I put pen to paper. I start writing this. Okay. What do I want my future to be like? What do mm-hmm. I want in my life? What's not working? And it's like, and I forget the word he used, but it was like, it's that sensate action of, it's like, we, we, we tend to have lost that for technology. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of people these days go, oh yeah, I tap it in my phone and stuff like that, which is not wrong. It's just right. different. You're right. But it's like, even us staying here now in this, in this castle, it's like that elegance. And that's what I've noticed with the way that you've written. I think that's what's drawn me to listen to your songs as well. It's like, you have that elegance with the way that you don't just write it 
for what people want to hear. You actually write it from, from this place of what's true for you. Yeah, I think it, it's that universal thing that you're trying to tap into. And yeah. uh, if I felt this way, hopefully a lot of people have felt that way. Yeah. And then I've always chosen to write songs that uplift people, uh -huh. make them feel happy, make them feel gratitude, make them want to get up and dance. Yeah. All those kind of things. You've made you know? me dance a and, few times. So. Yeah, I saw that a couple different times. Very impressive. Yeah. So it, it's that kind of thing that I always wanted to have songs that change the world. Yeah. You know, and that, that was always my target. And um, I've been fortunate enough to have that come to fruition. I love that, too, because it's like for so many of us, we have that place where we go, you know, we have that. I want to change the world, but we just don't know how to do it. Right. People think, well, I have to, you know, go out there and recycle or I have to save the whales or I have to, we have all these things that we think saving the world is, but it's like, for me, the biggest inspirations that I've gotten from people is from people like you when you're just willing to be you. Right. It's like, that's, I think that's the thing that we all need to get to is that's, what's going to change the world is if you be more of you, I'm definitely going to be more of me. Right. And that's kind of what the whole thing has morphed into for me is just being me and lifting other people up, whether they know it or not, you know, is, is way better than trying to join a cause and get in with people that are yeah. either, you know, so righteous about it or pe other people are mad about it or whatever, you know, just be what I be and exude that to everybody. And, um, you know, hopefully they'll go, well, I'd like, I'd like a little more of that, you yeah. know? And, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't even know how to tell how long we've been going on this thing because I don't know how to look at garage band. So that's good. Uh, <laughs> like you're all going to learn with this podcast. I am technologically not functional at all. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not something that you will probably hear me. We're definitely not going to be doing a podcast called technology and how to deal with it. That's for sure. So anything else you'd like to talk about? Well, you know, it's very fun to listen to your creative edge of consciousness when you were talking about how when you were a little kid, uh -huh. there was all this magic. Yeah. And then the world kind of tells you that's not possible, you yeah. know, and that was kind of the thing of growing up in Woodstock. There was that magic to me that was there in a reality that isn't in a lot of places in the world. And so I really identified with you when you were talking about that, how you know this is possible, but then everybody else keeps telling you it's not possible. Yeah. And so you start aiming to trade away what you really know. Yeah. And it does take the magic away. You know, uh -huh. there were things you could do as a little kid that all of a sudden you couldn't do anymore. Yeah. You know, but somewhere you keep that thing in your mind that you knew it was possible and it's possible again. Yeah. And that's what kind of keeps you going. That's what always kept me going. Yeah. And it's like, and, and that's the thing is as well, most, most of us think we lose that magic. We don't actually lose it. We just stop choosing it. Mm -hmm. we, we still have it. it. We still are it. Right. You know, for me, it's like, it's like enough people told me you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I believed them. Right. You know, and it's like, and that's, we just, so many kids, it's like the kids I meet now, you know, we've got one downstairs that's running around. He's, I think he's two or three. Right. And it's like, and to see the, the possibilities in his world based on the people around him, not trying to force him into something that he's not. Right. It's just different. Yeah. 
And that's one of the most amazing things to me about Access is how they uh, embrace children being in the classes. And, yeah. and they know that's the next generation that really would have the power to take things where they need to go yeah. in this world that we're in. Yeah. And um, just one, one more thing I love about it. Yeah, me too. And I'm grateful for you. It's like, it's your gift. And I just thank you for coming on here and talking about that. It's like, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be very excited to hear how all that stuff came about. So thanks for asking. Thank you. Anytime. All right, my friend. Until next time, guys, we'll be back with you soon on One Choice from Change. If you found this helpful, please share it and subscribe at onechoicefromchange.com. Until next time, there's only one choice from change.